three underway. The Pete Callender Show here on News Talk 1110-993 WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, you can also uh, email me, uh, Pete, at com, and you can hit me up on Twitter at Pete Callender. A reminder, I am not going to be here Thursday, Friday, Monday, or Tuesday, but I'll be back a week from today. I shall return. Um, get this. Our pal Travis Fane at WRAL reporting an Alamance County racetrack that refused to shut down in the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic can move forward with its lawsuit against Mandy Cohen. Well, now not Mandy Cohen anymore. Now it's Cody Kinsley, but that's who they originally sued, the state's top health official. Because she ultimately ordered the facility to close, so they are suing her. Ace Speedway, remember this speedway? Ace Speedway sued in 2020 as part of a public refusal to suspend racing at the outdoor track despite emergency closure orders from Governor Roy Cooper. Do you remember all of the media attention? All the the hand-wringing guys like Travis Fain, they were all running out there like, they're still going to race their cars outside. What are you doing to stop this? It's a super spreader. Super spreader. Right. They were very, very concerned about it. By the way, did they ever track any of the cases back to that speedway? I know there was an attempt to do so. Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Mandy Cohen, who has since been replaced by Secretary Cody Kinsley, tried to have the Speedway's case dismissed, arguing that sovereign immunity blocked the suit. Sovereign immunity basically says, uh, we are GovCo, you cannot sue us as individuals because we are GovCo agents. A Superior Court judge disagreed earlier last year, and yesterday, a unanimous panel of three North Carolina Court of Appeals judges came to the same conclusion. Quote, this case makes us consider the use of overwhelming power by the state against the individual liberties of its citizens and how that use of power may be challenged. This was from their opinion. This was the three judges. They were were all Republicans. Whether shutdown orders actually violated the the Speedway's rights, that is a matter for the full trial. That's what the judges, they're not ruling on the merits of the case. They're just saying the trial can move forward. They're going to see how it plays out. Let's let's get some clarity on this issue, ne? Yeah. And then, of course, the appeal... um, or this uh, ruling can be appealed up to the state Supreme Court where you have a Democrat majority, and they may very well say, no, you can't move forward, and it ends. Ace Speedway argued that the shutdown violated their rights under the state constitution because the state constitution guarantees people, quote, enjoyment of the fruits of their own labor. The Court of Appeals said Roy Cooper's initial executive order shutting down businesses across the state did not single out this speedway. But then came the refusal to cooperate by the speedway. What Cooper said was a a refusal to cooperate. And then came, remember they had a, uh, was it a, a nuisance abatement, right? So they had an abatement order 
that uh, they sent out. Cohen issued this after a Speedway repeatedly refused to close down and its owner publicly criticized the Cooper administration. Uh, The panel of judges said, quote, a Speedway has sufficiently pled that the secretary singled its racetrack out for enforcement in bad faith for the invidious purpose of silencing its lawful expression of discontent with the governor's actions. Therefore, sovereign immunity cannot bar Ace's claim. What are they saying? That, that the Speedway makes a compelling case here that they were targeted by Mandy Cohen. Not Mandy Cohen. The, 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 the chipper wearing a mask, everybody. Our, our guiding light in the darkness of COVID. Yeah, that they targeted this Speedway because the Speedway was, well, I mean, they were refusing to cooperate, right? They were refusing to follow the order. They were not doing what they were told. And so the media then keeps going down and covers them. And, oh, it's another Saturday at the racetrack. And here they are again. Oh, my gosh, super spreading. And then they they start going to the press conferences and they start tossing this these questions out. And, hey, what are you doing about this speedway? What's happening with the speedway? And they egg and egg and egg them on. And then, bam, comes the order. So I don't know. I'd be curious to know what, like, the internal communications were around this issue. That should be fun to see. Although, yeah, I mean, Roy Cooper, guy does an email. Remember that? All his years as Attorney General of North Carolina, he never sent any emails except, like, four. And, like, literally. I think it was 16, something like that. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, I think it was like, one a year or four a year or something like that. And, basically, they were all... You know, hey, everybody, it's National Secretary's Day, so just want to give a shout-out to the secretaries. That, that, that's the kind of stuff he would send. He, he did no business on email, we are led to believe. That's been their official story. He's a face-to-face kind of guy. He likes to talk in person and over the phone. Um, there's another portion here. Will Duran from the News and Observer, McClatchy says that the judges ruled that shutdown may have violated the state constitution so this can go forward so they can examine if it's true. They point out that the state constitution does, in fact, guarantee people the right to make money. Did you know that in North Carolina's constitution? We covered this uh, last year or, well, yeah, maybe now almost two years ago. This Remember the bar in, uh, in Greenville at ECU? East Carolina, there's that bar, and they they were suing because they were saying, look, you're treating us differently than you're treating all of these other businesses that are of like purpose. You're, I mean, we're just a, we're, we're a club, and you're letting restaurants open, and they can serve alcohol. You let breweries open, you let wineries open, they're serving alcohol, but I'm not allowed to serve alcohol because I'm just a club. I'm just, like, what's up with that? And so they sued. Uh, the, uh, was it the Pacific Legal Foundation, uh, Jessica Thompson, we've interviewed her several times over the years. Uh, This is the same argument. Same argument. Article 1, Section 1 of the state constitution, the equality and rights of persons. It says, we hold it to be self-evident that all persons are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, the enjoyment of the fruits of their own labor, and the pursuit of happiness. So we added that one in. North Carolinians added that line in. In uh, 1868, part of the revisions to the state constitutions, 
The drafters believed that in the wake of slavery, no man could truly be free in the state without the right to both liberty and to reap the benefits of what he sowed. That's why it's there. That's why it's there. And that's what the Speedway is using. North Carolinians have long valued and recognized the dignity of work, said the judges. Could this be a precedent for others to sue? There needs to be accountability for some of these actions that were taken. This seems like a pretty good first step. me i'm not a vindictive guy much i'm not i'm not uh but the reason why you the reason why you do the post-mortem the reason why you do the uh the debrief the after action report you have to go over what worked and what didn't you have to acknowledge the things that you got right things that you got wrong and this way you know in the future when presented with a similar circumstance that you don't make those same mistakes again that's why we need to have this post-mortem or this autopsy. I know this, uh, I try to, those are the terms that are used in like electoral politics, like after the campaign, why did we lose? They do a post-mortem and autopsy. Um, But an after action report has to be done on, on COVID has to, and it has to be done with, by, and for the people that made these decisions. And in North Carolina, that is governor Cooper. And it is Mandy Cohen. And it is Cody Kinsley. These are the people that made the calls. They are the ones that made the decisions. There has to be a reckoning with the bad decisions and the good ones, too. You, if you think you made some good decisions, put them out there, sure. But it, it cannot be strictly limited to, uh, to the campaign trail. You can't just rely on, you know, one guy running against, and now Cooper's not even up again for re-election unless he runs for some other office, but there's no other way to go after him over this stuff, right? You had Dan Forrest, that was it. So you're get so you telling me, well, you got one guy, that's it. One one guy, one time, he gets to make his argument at that specific moment in time, and, and that's it. Oh, well, I guess Cooper won, so no need to look back and see if he messed up on any of the decisions. From the North Carolina Court of Appeals three-judge panel, now they all, all uh, three of these judges are Republicans, and so you can dismiss that. You can dismiss this ruling for what it is, you know, or because they are Republicans, you can say that. Secretary contends, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mandy Cohen and now Cody Kinsley, contend that the court may take judicial notice of factual data surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic at the time that the abatement order was issued against that speedway, right? They said everybody locked down. The speedway was like, no, we're doing other, we're doing other measures. We're going to stay open. And then they were like, no, we're going we're gonna to target you for an abatement order. And they came in and shut them down. And what the, the Health and Human Services Secretary is saying, the state is saying, that you gotta, you got to take judicial notice of the factual data surrounding the pandemic at the time that it was ordered. And the judges say, we disagree. The Speedway said that the abatement order was the foundational authorization to force it to cease operating its racetrack and that the order was unconstitutional as applied. 
an examination of the facts surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic at a later stage of trial may show that their precautionary measures to manage contact tracing of its attendees, they installed plexiglass, touchless thermometers, six feet distance markers, and screening booths that, look, if it goes to trial, and what the court is saying is they need to test this in trial. You don't get to just, you know, head it off at the pass and say, you know, government immunity, you can't, you can't hold me liable. They're like, well, no, maybe we can. Did you target this speedway? They said they were doing all of these things, all of these things, the, the science and data, the incantations of, right, the super smart set telling everybody to wipe down their groceries, right? So they're like, look, they can make these arguments in in court at trial. That's where you would make this case, literally. They did all of these things, and they're going to argue that that was sufficient to combat the spread of COVID-19 at an open-air racetrack. The insanity of that. The insanity that they shut down the racetrack, and it's outside. It's like... It's like they were kicking people off of the beaches. Remember that story? Just insanity. Presuming these facts in favor of the Speedway as the uh, non-movement, the, one of the parties anyway, the reasonableness of an imminent hazard as justification for the Secretary's actions can be questioned. So the Speedway is arguing, look, we did all of these things, and if your expert said, that, oh, this is an imminent hazard. That's why we issued the abatement order telling you to stop, to close down. That's what the abatement order was over. Then uh, they have every right to present all of this other evidence that says they were actually taking precautions. So it was not an imminent hazard. So we're going to find out. They get to proceed unless, of course, the state appeals it to the state Supreme Court and the Democrats on the state Supreme Court decide <clears throat> that... Uh, that they don't want to hear the case, <laughs> which I'm, I'm assuming that's where it's happening. But, hey, take the victory while we can. Uh, it's something. Meanwhile, Mecklenburg County, back into a code red. Code red for the spreading of the COVID. As the cases and hospitalizations climb, restaurants and event venues remain wary of enforcing masks again. This is the Charlotte Observer story by Catherine Mucci-Grosso and Hannah Long. Uh, Hannah Lang, sorry, Hannah Lang. Mask mandates and other COVID safety protocols have been politically contentious issues since the start of the pandemic in March of 2020. The CDC on Friday said people in Mecklenburg County are at high COVID risk, nearby counties as well. Rowan, Cabarrus, Iredale, Lincoln, Gaston. The BA.5 Omicron variant, they're getting less scary sounding, just as a really like BA.5, BA5. Okay. One of the most highly transmissible variants. Again, virus is virus. This is what they do. They become more transmissible, but they become less lethal. And that is good because it builds up herd immunity over the course of time. It does not to say that there aren't people that suffer from it. Of course there are. It is a virus. Much like people die of other viruses, other diseases. Yes, bad things do happen to good people. Um. More than a dozen businesses that the Observer reached out to for this story did not want to comment about the mask mandate issue or did not respond by deadline. A handful of others said 
uh, they're not going to bring back mask requirements unless the government tells them to. And few said they plan to make workers wear them. Right. Gee, I wonder I wonder why they don't want to publicize the fact that they're not going to be implementing masks at their establishments. I wonder why they would do such a thing. We may never know. Talk 1110993 WBT. There's also a uh, court case up in Canada, eh? And um, court documents in that case reveal Canada's travel ban over the COVID had no scientific basis. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. 704 570 1-800-WBT-1110. And Irene, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, Pete. How are you? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? So I just wanted to kind of add to the idiocy of this whole thing. I play for the American Contract Bridge League in tournaments and things. And I was set up to play in Charlotte here. I even have a friend coming in from out of town to play with me. I was going to play all weekend long. And then all of a sudden we get notified that that Mecklenburg County is back in the red, and until it turns to yellow, we've all got to wear masks the entire time we're playing bridge, and um, I just had to cancel all my partners, you know. I have some very liberal partners that wear wear masks anyway, Mm -hmm. and then I have my very conservative partners that don't like to wear masks, and so I just had to tell everybody, guys, I'm sorry. I cannot wear a mask for four hours. I just, I can't tolerate it. Yeah. um, Did you say? We're going to have to play online. Did you say American Contact Bridge League? American Contract. Oh, Contract. It's a card. It's a duplicate card game. Okay, that makes more sense. Because I was trying to imagine Contact Bridge. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, a lot of hip (laughs) injuries probably. But, uh. No, th- yeah, so uh, this is this is the the idiocy that trickles down if you will from these types of uh decisions like the the red, the green, the yellow, the zones and all this stuff and the metrics that they created are by and large arbitrary, right? Why why does some area get a red designation versus a yellow versus a green? Exactly. It's because they set this they set up the parameters for when those zones would you know, you, you'd go into the zone based on percentages of, remember they used to talk about the percent of uh, uh, positive, the percent of cases that were positive, right? They, they talked yeah. about that and they used that as a metric. And then a couple of years down the road, they're like, well, you know what? That's actually not really accurate. It doesn't really tell us a whole lot. Yeah, we were saying that from the beginning. It's not a good metric, but they stuck with yeah. it. Same thing. You know, it's so interesting. Out of 100,000 people, there are 11 new cases. And it's in red. Sorry, I just I felt like I felt like people were not sufficiently scared when you gave that that data point. (laughs) So that's why I play the music just to reinforce the fear. Everyone. It is interesting to see how it's not being covered the same way that it was a year ago. Right. Because when I got back uh, to Charlotte here a year ago, e- even then it was kind of like there was still this churn of 
media focus on the numbers and all that and the daily updating and all of that. And now it's, I mean, the governor hasn't even done a press conference on this stuff in months. It's like it's over yeah. for some reason. Yeah. 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 It is. We might. It's over. Uh, it's over, people. Yeah. Well, oh, we might we might need a rebound before the next election, though, just to get the mail-in voting numbers up. Uh, all righty. Yeah. Hey, uh, I appreciate the call. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Um, I don't know. I think I, 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 I might pay. I might pay good money to see contact bridge tournaments. Who is this? Uh, Fox. That's the name. Fox, welcome to the program. Hello, Fox. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. What's up? I knew hey, a buddy, Fox. I'm, 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 a, I'm a good. I'm, I'm a COVID survivor. Spent six nights in the hospital with it last year. Oh, man. Caught it, caught it when I was wearing my mask, doing all the preventative stuff. I'm not vaccinated, and I'm 100% recovered. It took me about 70 days after discharge. Man. Um, it was all fatigue for me. It wasn't all the breathing BS. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I mean, hey, can I ask is, you? You, just, you said it was all fatigue. Like how? I mean, like how bad was the fatigue? To take a shower was an event. <laughs> it's an event. What was? That? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Yeah. And I'm a high energy guy. Trust me. I'm you know 55 years old, and I spend five days a week at the gym. So right. it was hard for me. And so, like um, you just, I mean, when you say like an event, I mean, was it like you were tired, or was it like your muscles weren't? They wouldn't work or something, or they get strained. It, it was tired. It was just like, tired. It was just crazy. I yeah. mean, it was crazy how bad it was. And I'm in very good condition. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. No. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're. Uh, I'm glad to hear you licked it. I'm glad to hear you got better. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not vaccinated. I'm out on the mask thing. Uh, I, I. It's just. It's just gotten out of hand. And and I. I. If we don't make a turnaround in this country to do something. We're headed to be Venezuela, and I just I can't take it anymore. It makes me want to run for office. That's oh my gosh! Is. Don't say that. Yeah, don't, it does. no, I'm kidding. Run for president? <clears throat> well, that sounds no. Well, I, all right. So I joke about that because that's always the reaction that you're supposed to have is to try to warn people. No, no, don't do it. But I actually I I believe you should. I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. I don't know what your campaign uh, campaign platform is about. But uh, if good people don't run for office, then you leave it up for bad people to take office. Well, the problem is it can't get any worse than what you got now. There you go. I mean, that's true, too. The bar is quite low. <laughs> so you, you could just kind of take a step right over that thing. Um, yeah, well, at, at this point now, it is now endemic, right? The, the, the virus is endemic, which means what? You, you have to you got to fight it differently. And it's a different approach. And that means you're ta- it's, a, it's a treatment course. It's not preventative any longer. You cannot stop it with masks because it's right. endemic now. And people have had it. I had it. I had a very mild version of it. Uh, you know, I was kind of tired and uh, a little, a head, bit of a headache and uh, sore throat, but really mild as compared to like what you said you had and others I've read about and obviously people who died from it. But at this point now, it's, you know, people have had it or they've had the ample opportunity to get the shots that they believe are going to work for them, even though it doesn't seem like they do. And, um, we have to move on. We've got to. We have to keep living our lives, unless they're trying to say we need to adopt like a masking culture for America. It's already proven that the, the vaccine doesn't work. So why are we touting the vaccine? Yeah, I I, I don't even know why people still uh, promote it and say you got to get the boosters and all this other stuff. I mean, because if, they're lost. They're lost. They need a real leader. They're lost. Yeah. 
That sounds like a campaign platform. Don't be lost. Follow Fox. I'm, hey, you there know, you go. it might work. All right, man. Good luck on the campaign trail. Okay, buddy. All right, buddy. You. Take it easy. See uh, right. No, he should run for office. I know nothing about his campaign platform, but more people should participate in the process. Absolutely. Um, and that's the last piece of uh, campaign advice I will give him for free. No, I'm just kidding. I don't charge for any of it. Nobody asks me anyway. Um, it was a so up in Canada, up in Canada, August 13th, 2021, the Canadian government announced that anybody who had not been vaccinated would soon be barred from planes and trains. Jennifer Little, the director general of COVID recovery, the secretive government panel that craft or that crafted the mandate called it one of the strongest vaccination mandates for travelers in the world. Eh? it was draconian and sweeping writes Rupa Subramanya at commonsense.news. This is Barry Weiss's Substack, her publication, commonsense.news. And uh, Rupa says it was draconian and sweeping. It fit neatly with the public persona that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had cultivated, that of the sleek, progressive, forward-looking technocrat guided by fact and reason, the science and data. The Canadian Medical Association Journal in a June 2022 article observed that Canada had among the most sustained stringent policies regarding restrictions on internal movement. Congratulations, Canada. Yay, Canada. But recently released court documents which capture the decision making behind the travel mandate indicate that far from following the science and data, the prime minister and his cabinet were focused on. Politics. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Up in Canada, eh? Two Canadian residents have filed a lawsuit against the government. And until last month, they were under seal. Both plaintiffs are business owners. Both have family back in Britain. Both refused the vaccine on the grounds of bodily autonomy. And they sued. Their names are Carl Harrison and Sean Rickard. So far, the lawsuit has cost the two plaintiffs about $186,000, of which Rickard has raised $121,000 on GoFundMe. In February of this year, when the Canadian government invoked the Emergencies Act in response to the trucker protest, who were sep- they, they were protesting a, a separate vaccine mandate in Ottawa. GoFundMe forced Rickard off their site, along with all the people that were raising money for the truckers. They 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 canceled Rickard too. All right, so these court documents that have now been unsealed, what do they show? Well. For starters, the director general of, uh, what is it called here? COVID recovery. That's capital R, recovery. COVID recovery. It's a, it's a government panel in Canada. And no one really knew who was involved with it, who was making the calls and what expertise they had. Well, now we have a little bit more information about where this stuff came from. This We, we saw something very similar here in Mecklenburg, remember? When we found out, oh, wait a minute, there's this like whole advisory body or something that's been meeting and they've been hashing out this stuff behind closed doors. No one in the COVID recovery unit 
including Jennifer Little, the director general, had any formal education in epidemiology or medicine or public health. None of them. These are the people in charge of COVID recovery. The director uh, director general, Jennifer Little, has an undergrad degree in literature. Because that's what, that really prepares you for the pandemic, right? Um, she was asked whether anybody in the unit had any professional experience. She said there was one person named Monique St. Laurent. According to St. Laurent's LinkedIn profile, though, she appears to be a civil servant who briefly worked for Public Health Agency of Canada. She's not a doctor. And she confirmed uh, that she was a member of the board, this COVID recovery panel, uh, but would not answer any other questions posed to her. Then Jennifer Little also suggested that a senior official in the prime minister's cabinet, or possibly the prime minister himself, had ordered the travel mandate to be imposed. She refused to say who had given her team the order to impose the travel mandate, but said, quote, I'm not at liberty to disclose anything that is subject to cabinet confidence. The term cabinet confidence refers to the prime minister's cabinet, right? Attorney-client privilege, basically, right? These are privileged conversations. They're secret. You can't know that. But she said it goes, I'm not at liberty to disclose this cabinet comments. This is a cabinet-level decision to impose the travel mandate. In the days leading up to the implementation of the mandate, transportation officials were frantically looking for a rationale for it, and they came up short. There was an exchange in October of 2021 between Aaron McCrory and Dawn Lumley-Mylari. The names are not important, okay? Uh, We'll just say Aaron and Dawn, okay? Aaron says uh, he's the Associate Director, uh, sorry, Associate Assistant Deputy Minister for Safety and Security in Transport Canada. Good Lord. That's the department that houses COVID recovery, right? No wonder it's so secretive. Nobody can find the thing. Anyway, um... Dawn is an official in the public health agency, and Aaron seems to be casting about for a credible rationale for the travel mandate about two weeks before the mandate kicks in. He keeps asking for updated data. Does it exist? Is there, quote, clearer evidence? It would be helpful in order to help you guys, to assist you guys in supporting the measures. And then a week goes by, and it's like, hey, Just checking in. We need something fairly soon. And Dawn responds with a series of bullet points outlining the benefits, generally speaking, of the COVID vaccine. She did not address Aaron's questions about the transport transportation system itself, noting that uh, they'll just update the public health considerations with regard to the vaccine. And then two days later, it takes effect. The mandate takes effect. They ban all of the travel. And you have these two business owners and owners in Canada that cannot go back and see their dying parents. That's what brought these two guys together. That's how one became aware of the other story. And they're like, I have the same story. I want to go back and see my parent and Canada won't let them go. And the darn sure won't let them come back. Lawyers filed a motion to shut down Harrison and Rickard's suits on the on the suit on the grounds that it was now moot because, hey, you know, you can travel now. It's all over. Mm-mm. No. 
No, no, no. The Trudeau government has claimed to follow the science on COVID, but that science is strangely different than it is everywhere else, said Bruce Pardee, a law professor at Queen's University and a former board member at the Conservative Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. He says, instead, its policies are based on spite, divisiveness, and pure politics. COVID now serves as an excuse to punish the government's ideological enemies. By the way, COVID recovery has no website. Its name appears almost nowhere in government records. And the two guys suing say they want to expose the truth behind this all, that it was driven by politics and not science. Good luck to them. I am back next Wednesday. Y'all be good. Don't break anything while I'm gone.